Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The Wynn government in Ontario has uh, or is imposing cap-and-trade for carbon credit trading as of January 1st, 2017. Quebec already has cap-and-trade. And the Premier claims gasoline will cost 4.3 cents more per litre and uh, heating an additional $5 per month. I have no idea how she thinks she can predict that. In the UK, green energy taxes have contributed to huge increases in electricity prices with thousands of British seniors and poor dying because they can't afford to heat their homes. I read you the accounts on the air not long ago. Dr. Bjorn Lomborg joins us, environmental economist and founder and president of the Copenhagen Consensus Center. He's the author of international best-selling books like The Skeptical Environmentalist and Cool It. And uh, he reported on the UN Paris Climate Conference last November for 25 international newspapers. And Dr. Lomborg joined us on this program as well. Dr. Lomborg, thank you very much for taking the time and coming back. Hey, Roy, it's good to be back. So governments in Canada and elsewhere are committing to cutting carbon emission growth. They're engaging in cap-and-trade schemes, in carbon tax schemes. I, I use the word scheme advisedly, I think. You've written that such a commitment is also a promise to economic, uh, cutting economic growth. Could you explain just the fundamentals of that to us, please? Well, uh, I think a number of things is important to recognize that uh, CO2 is a problem. And so any economist would say uh, it's a good idea to tax it at its cost. But you have to be realistic. Cutting CO2, because it's the lifeline of pretty much everything that powers our society, also has a cost. You know, if you make all the cheap energy more costly, you also increase all the inputs that go into the economy. And so you have to cut enough that you're actually respecting the fact that it's a problem, but not so much that you end up destroying the economy. So you need to find what's the right level. And right now, the biggest survey uh, shows that you should probably tax uh, CO2 at about $5 a ton, or that's the equivalent of about one or two cents uh, per liter of gasoline. So it's a tiny bit, but not very much. Europe has had a cap-and-trade market for years now, has it not? Those 10 years? Yes. And I think there's two things to be learned from that. One is that it's often open to a lot more corruption than a straight carbon tax, simply because if you have licenses to pollute, you basically hand it out to all your friends. A lot of governments will have less interest in actually discovering whether uh, the, the carbon uh, licenses were real. Uh, and so you'll end up grandfathering a lot of the, uh, of the permits so you don't actually get the tax benefits. But crucially, and perhaps most importantly, if you do a carbon tax or a cap and trade, you should stop all other subsidies. And that's exactly what Europe has not done. If you have already put in place a carbon tax, you should not be supporting solar and wind because what's happening, for instance, in Europe, when you put up a wind turbine, because you've already capped the system, it does not cut one single gram of CO2. It simply makes it cheaper for other nations to emit more coal power uh, CO2. So the reality is once you do a cap and trade, you need to stop all of the subsidies. And, of course, no government actually does that. And that's the real flaw in most of these systems. When you talk about subsidies, is it not true that at least some governments, maybe maybe most of them that have put uh, cap-and-trade in place, 
have in fact provided subsidies to industries that arguably would be the greatest emitters, and they provide the subsidies because if they don't and if they tax these these uh, huge companies at the rate that they said they would when the whole plan began, the companies would probably, at least some of them, would just pick up and leave. Exactly. And so what you saw, at least in the first five or seven years of the uh, European cap-and-trade, uh, was that you were actually just generating huge windfalls uh, to the most polluting industries. Uh, and that's, of course, probably not what you wanted. It's still economically efficient, but it's distributionally insane. You told me on air, if I remember correctly, that the uh, EU 2020 policy on global warming will cost $250 billion per year and accomplish dropping temperature by one-twentieth of a degree by the end of the century. And you wrote as well, if I'm quoting you correctly, after we spend about $20 trillion over the century, we will have done something you can't even measure. So then the next question, I suppose, is where's the return on investment? Well, it's typically very, very small. And this, of course, is when why we need to be critical of the typical climate policies. A lot of people say, oh, there's a problem, which is true. And then they say, we need to do something, even if that something is a terribly inefficient way to help. And that's why you come up with these cap and tra uh, trade systems and at the same time subsidize solar and wind, and then basically end up having your solar and your wind cutting no CO2 whatsoever. That's just silly. But moreover, as you just pointed out, you end up spending billions and likely trillions of dollars over the century and yet have almost no impact on temperature 100 years from now. That is not the way to help the future. If you want to help the future, you should make sure that green energy becomes so cheap everyone will want to buy it, including, of course, the Chinese and the Indians, who are the real ones who are going to de determine how much CO2 we put out over this century. What happens to the cost of consumer goods in the long run if you have cap-and-trade schemes, or the one like the U.K. has, that after you spoke to me uh, when you were in Paris, I went and did some research. And frankly, I was horrified to read thousands of British seniors are dying because, at least in part, they can't afford their electricity costs. And that, at least, is in part because so much money and so much taxation has been directed toward renewables. Exactly. I mean, prices go up in general, but especially uh, energy costs go up. And they're very regressive, so they hit the poorest the most. Uh, uh, Britain was very, very proud that, for instance, over the last uh, 10 years, they've seen a decline in, in electricity consumption of about 15 percent. But yeah, that's no big surprise when you increase prices by more than 50 percent. But crucially, what they found was that the richest people just kept on using just as much because it doesn't affect them very much if you increase the cost by 50 percent. It's still a small fraction of their income. But for the poorest, and as you mentioned, for instance, pensioners, uh, you have about a third of all pensioners in, in, in Britain that only heat part of their apartments uh, through the winter simply because they cannot afford to. Uh, about half a million stay in bed longer than they want to because they're, they don't want to get up because it's too cold. That's a terrible outcome. Yeah. Dr. Lomborg, you... You've said, uh, and, and go green is the motto, but, but you've said it can be done much more cheaply than we've just been talking about. And you worked out those cost-benefit plan numbers at the Copenhagen Consensus Center. What are the numbers? What, what, needs, what can be done? What needs to be done? So fundamentally, the, the 
typical scenarios where you subsidize solar and wind, uh, you end up uh, avoiding a couple of sets of climate damage for every dollar you spend. If you do a reasonably well-constructed cap-and-trade, you probably do about a dollar worth of good for every dollar spent. But if you spend it on research and development into green energy, so essentially making future green energy cheaper so that not just rich, well-meaning Canadians, but everyone else, and especially the Chinese and the Indians will switch, every dollar spent will avoid about $11 of climate damage. So you can do at least 10 times and more likely about a hundred times more good if you spend your money on research and development rather than just doing the, oh, we got to do something. And the something often is a somewhat silly policy. One more question for you. Do you find that you're being listened to, that um, what you're suggesting and what you found at the Consensus Center, the Copenhagen Consensus Center, is being uh, seriously considered? Because you've been attacked and accused of being willing to let entire nations on coastlines be flooded out of existence. I mean, you sound like an the most eminently reasonable person on this issue to me that I've, I've spoken to, but there are people who attack you regularly. Oh, God, yes. There's lots of people who attack me. I think fundamentally global warming has become this very emotional issue uh, where it's more are you for us or against us rather than are you actually trying to find a solution for the world's big problems. Uh, the Copenhagen Consensus worked with more than 300 of the world's top economists. We worked with seven Nobel laureates. Uh, you know, we have, we have good data behind this. And we're trying to say, where can you do the most good for every dollar you spend? A lot of the people who are really anxious about global warming seem to be more interested in feeling good about what they do rather than actually doing good. And, and you know, I applaud that they want to feel good, but I would like us all to actually spend more time on doing good. Uh, you know, our kids and grandkids are not going to laud us just because we, we spoke really beautifully or because we felt very strongly. They're going to laud us because we fixed problems. Or they won't, if we don't. Yeah, Clearly. exactly. Dr. Lomborg, always good talking to you. Thank you for taking the time. Likewise. Take care, Roy. Dr. Bjorn Lomborg, uh, at Bjorn Lomborg, and uh, eminently sensible. I mean, read his books. Listen to what he says. I'll post this um, this interview later on, but you can go back to November of last year on my webpage, RoyGreenShow.com, and listen to what Dr. Lomborg told us from Paris at the COP21 UN Conference on Climate, spoke to us twice for an hour each time. Listen back to those. Makes sense.